I just want to do God's will. The kind of revolution that the world needs is a Christian revolution. If you want a miracle, you've got to expect it to happen. You are the recipients of God's grace and God's blessings, and you rejoice in that reality. Welcome to Life Today Live. Happy St. Patrick's Day for those of you who celebrate it. Uh, and fittingly, to a degree, I, I have a, uh, an author, a pastor from Boston, which is a big Irish city, but that's not what we're here about. Adam Mabry is the lead pastor of Aletheia Church uh, up in Boston, and he has a book out that uh, just dropped here recently called When God Seems Gone. Uh, and this is, uh, you know, something I think we all kind of hit uh, at some point in our life uh, when things don't go the way we want them to or when they go really terribly bad. Uh, and it just feels like God is far away. Uh, what do we do? What should we know? How should we approach that? Uh, we're going to talk about that today. Glad you're here with us. Uh, and uh, if, if you want to if you're watching us live, you can always comment during the interview. If you're watching in the replay, we always do and appreciate your kind comments. I do read them. So, uh, Adam, uh, welcome to Life Today Live. Thanks, man. I'm very glad to be here. Uh, I guess we should, you know, when we talk about people taking the time to to write a book, deciding what they want to write about, there's typically a reason that someone picks a particular topic. Uh, and with this one, I'm curious what, what was it in you that made you think this is something that I want to take the time to really address? Yeah, great question. Well, you know, I think everyone can relate to the fact that like, you know, the period from 2020 to, you know, very recently hasn't exactly been a cakewalk for everybody. Um, but in, in my own case, my family uh, has dealt with a, um, it's kind of an ongoing issue. So it, that, uh, and we'll get to tremendous detail, but basically we've dealt with an unexpected long-term illness. Yeah. Uh, and that has had a follow-on effect for all the members of my family. So my wife and our, and our four kids. And when that was kind of hitting with all the same stuff that, you know, every pastor was dealing with, uh, you know, 2020, 2021, uh, kind of all came to the, came to the surface. And so I've been, I've been meditating on this idea for a while. And, um, and God has been so faithful, uh, to me, even in the midst of my, feeling like, hey, man, I, I believe you're there, but I don't feel your presence. And so this book is a little bit, uh, you know, a little, well, a ton out of that experience, but designed to help a little bit with uh, others who are having that experience too. Uh, is this something that you talk about or do you, I respect, yeah. you know, privacy yeah. with the family, but. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can certainly talk about it a little bit. Um, you know, the common place would be just the nature of a chronic source of pain. Yeah. That, you know, when we, when we face chronic, unexpected, undeserved pain, um, you know, that, that can be especially, uh, especially challenging, you know, when you come to a, an experiential faith like ours, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Christianity is not simply a ritualistic, you know, set of to-dos, but we, we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe that God's presence is something that can be known and, and, and felt. Um, and I love that experience. Uh, but the last few years have been marked by a distinct absence of that experience, even while I know, I know that I know that I know that God is very much present. And so the book is about identifying with some different characters in scripture's story uh, who have had a similar experience when God seems slow or silent or maybe not even very good at all, and learning from them about how they got through it so we can learn how to get through it too. So who 
who in scripture do you look at? You got quite a few examples because yeah, yeah right. This is this is all through it. Yeah. So we, I mean, I, I examine Habakkuk. He he was sort of the first uh, the first person that I really explored when I was you know dealing with this idea because Habakkuk's book begins with this question like, hey God, how long am I? I'm going to have to stand here and ask this. Mm-hmm. Like, how long am I going to have to wait for you to answer the, these questions? Because my, you know, for in his situation, of course, you know, his civilization was falling apart around him. And, and so when God finally does answer, which is the conversation the reader gets to listen to or in on, Habakkuk had presumably been asking this question for a very long time. And then when God finally got around to giving the answer, it's not the answer any of us would have wanted. Mm. Um, and so, uh, so the, the book is, you know, looking at his experience or, or Elijah's experience of having, you know, this great literal mountaintop experience. Um, and then, you know, emotionally feeling like, you know, he was literally all alone, um, even though that wasn't the case. Uh, all the way up to even even Jesus, you know, in the garden, experiencing in his humanity a very real sense that that uh, of dread regarding God's will and yet his face set to do God's will. Uh, and, and once he had done it, he cries out in, in dereliction from the cross that Psalm 22, like, God, where are you? Mm. In, even in all this. And, and if the son of God can have that experience, uh, some sort of emotional experience that causes him to cry out, God, where are you? Then uh, it, it surely stands to reason that both we can and we do and that we have something to learn from him when he did. Yeah, I, I, I can't help but wonder um, why. I mean, it, it's. It's out of order, I understand, to to question the God of the universe, but you just go, why do you, why why do you, why do you do that? Why 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 do you let us feel so far away? Is is it us? Is it just the nature of the world and the sin, or is there something bigger going on? Do you think? Yeah. So in the book, I, I lay out basically two reasons. Uh, one is super simple and easy, and the other is. Uh, excruciatingly complex and textured. Uh, the simple answer for when God could seem gone is when we're sinning, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so sin is the the act of not trusting God. And so, uh, you know, if I if I go commit adultery on my wife serially mm-hmm. and uh, you know start start you know talking badly about her behind her back, uh, I shouldn't be super surprised that we don't feel super close, and she doesn't want to maybe go on dates with me and hold sure. my hand, sure. right? Because uh, I'm I'm breaking covenant with her. So. You know, if we're flagrantly sinning and we feel like God's gone, well, we have a pretty easy answer. But the the harder part is for you know us Christians who, at least as far as we can tell, we're we're posturing our lives in faith, uh, trusting God, mm-hmm. wanting very much to please Him, and um, and yet having this the same experience. And so, the question: Well, why? Why would God allow us to to experience something so emotionally negative about something? that is a promised positive that God, you know, I will never be, uh, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'll always be with you. Jesus says, um, I think the point of that journey is very often learning to not trust the, the preached message of our emotions, but rather to trust the words of Jesus. And in a cultural moment that we're in right now, we, we have taught, we have been taught by every movie and every commercial and every Disney princess that, that like what's in my heart is the most important thing about me. Um, (laughs) And if my heart is telling me God isn't there, then I guess he's not there. Uh, That's a, you know, I have a phrase I like to say, your emotions are really only good at telling you how you feel. Um, They're pretty bad at telling you anything else. And uh, especially uh, they're really bad at giving you theology. Um, (laughs) But we live in a culture that is designed 
to elevate emotionality as the best way to know stuff. And so we are particularly susceptible to this feeling. And because we are, we need some help navigating through it. Yeah, yeah. What, what's the line? Follow, follow your heart. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, right. That uh, that's yeah. gotten me in trouble before. <laughs> and frankly, yeah, yeah. You you get burned a few times. You go, maybe my heart's not the best thing to follow. Even those right. of us who are you know born again and have, it's like no, that's why you got the Holy Spirit. Maybe you should follow that instead. It it right. seems a little like you know building your house on a rock or building your house on a sand, which I know that's not the purest interpretation of the scripture, but it's like, I, I, you're, we just can't trust our, our emotions. So I guess once you realize that and you realize that, that, that just what I'm seeing is not all there is to, you know, the fullness of truth, where do you go then? Yeah. Um, well, that's, I think one of the, biggest reasons God gave us the Bible, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's fascinating for me to think about that the person of the Trinity that we are all promised to have the deepest experience with, which is the Holy Spirit, is also the same person of the Trinity who inspired the writing of Scripture. And Mm -hmm. so the, the, the one, you know, the, the member of the Godhead that we are asking to talk to us, we literally can hear from, uh, like literally in literature, uh, can hear from any time we want to crack open a Bible. And so very often I think that the the best thing to do is to drive into scripture and to say, okay, I'm not feeling like any of this is true or any of this is good news, but I know that it is true and I know that it is good news. So Lord, show me how. That that that's a uh, a posture shift that has to happen because you know, I don't I don't want a, a listener to hear, hey, don't listen to your emotions, um because that can get you in a different pile of trouble with, you know, when you just are, are ignorant of how your emotions are taking control of your life. Yeah. Um, we should listen to them. We should recognize them. And stuff. I've got the whole feelings wheel like over here on my bulletin board <laughs> outside of the view of the camera. I, I, I'm, I'm into knowing how I feel. I'm just, once you know, you have to decide, okay, now I know how I feel, but that has nothing to do with how God feels necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing to do with what scripture says. So let's now go to this other thing and see what this other thing can do to my emotionality. Do you think, um, our expectations of God sometimes, um, when they're, they can be both healthy and unhealthy, I suppose. Uh, do you think we can get in a way that we expect God to behave a certain way? And when he doesn't, then it's almost like we set him up for failure. It's not failure. It's all, sure. yeah, I get that. Do you hear what I'm saying? It seems like our expectations sometimes can get off and that can lead to the emotions that can lead to, the uh, the anxiety, the fear, the disappointment, the, yeah. and the pain. Yeah, 100% I do. I think a lot of it has to do with our liturgies. So, you know, if you mm. get in the Wayback Machine and go to any church service 75 years ago, it was probably pretty stodgy feeling, mm. very repetitive, very traditional. You know, you sang the same, you know, hymns, line one, two, and five. And and it was into that that sort of the the Jesus movement of you know the late 1960s and early 70s, and then the charismatic renewal. Like it was into that kind of maybe stodgy liturgy that these two very dynamic uh, movements, uh, you know, uh, encountered the the stodginess, and, and a new liturgical form was born. That now most of our churches look like we've got you know songs that are highly emotional and lighting and all these things that are designed to do something on the inside of us. And so when we're in a when we're in a worship environment, which is what we call them now, and, and we're not really feeling much, now we're like, wait, wait, I'm supposed to be feeling something, and I'm not feeling something, so something's wrong. Mm. 
where no one 75 years ago would have ever had that thought because they're so every liturgical form has its pluses and minuses mm-hmm. and and the popular one for us today this is a minus that it's designed you know for better or for worse to deal with our inner self our our emotionality and and other things and so when we're feeling like it's not working then we can get really unsettled like oh, okay i'm saying the you know i've lifted my hands i've sang the song uh, but everyone around me is having a big experience with God, and I guess I'm not. Yeah, well, that, that's a very interesting point. Uh, even historically, I, I've, I've you know was raised in a Southern Baptist church that was not emotional. Like you only raised your hand if you had a question and you had to go to the bathroom. Um, <laughs> but then I went to Oral Roberts University, which was a whole other experience, and so I've <laughs> I've seen these you know both both sides of the emotion spectrum and, and you're, you know, well, to use an Irish saying for every mile of road, there's two miles of ditch. And, and it seems like we can quickly get into one that says, I have to feel God. And the other one that says, I have to feel nothing. Mm-hmm. And yet, if you look at, especially like the Psalms, there is this encounter with God that does impact the emotions. Where do you, what, what do you look for in your own, emotional spectrum as related to the the truth of scripture which is not cold and unfeeling right right that that's a great question you know very often you know this the psalmist you know says you know i'm one of my favorite psalms is why are you downcast on my soul yeah <laughs> what's right, wrong with you right. uh put your hope in god like he's preaching to himself um and saying all right soul all right my you know this inner emotional spiritual mess like Get it in order. God is still God. Hope in God. Quit hoping in whatever else you're hoping in. So there's a moment where we, after figuring out, okay, I don't feel great right now. The word of God comes to speak truth to us um, because, you know, to, to use a complicated phrase, our, our emotionality is uh, epistemologically malfunctioning. <laughs> so uh, our, our emotions should be telling us what is true, but because of the fall, they don't. Yeah. Uh, and then all kinds of things, you know, can affect them negatively, which is why you know, we have minds and why we have bodies and why we also have scripture. And so sometimes just like doing acts of worship with your body, go take communion, bow your head, pray, lift your hands and worship. These things, these things are obedient acts, whether or not we, you know, they're, they're flowing from all the, you know, puppy dogs and sunshine and rainbows of of a happy heart. Um, The other thing is we need to, I think, expand this last couple of years has caused me to expand my uh, my worship vocabulary to include lament. Um, mm-hmm. Because when all of our songs are in major keys and all the lights are like real happy, we don't know how to come to God and sing our pain in worship. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have a whole book mm-hmm. <laughs> called Lamentations, uh, which is a horrible. I mean, the book, the book is terrible. It, I mean, it's, it's scripture, but I mean, it's terrible to read. Uh, the stuff you read in it is terrible. And yet yeah. it's like, it's designed structurally that the middle, the apex of it, is a, is a proclamation of hope. That okay, you know, I, but this I call to mind. Therefore, I have hope. Um, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases; His mercies are new every morning. Great is Your faithfulness. And kind of after that peak, the next three, you know, the rest of the book is still you know, okay. Walking back down the mountain of pain, but it's it's kind of designed structurally to to tell us, hey, you can have hope in the middle of all of your lament, lamentation. And so I've had to learn how to, you know lament my worship to God, which is different than complaint, um, right? Lamentation is when I say, okay, God, this is really awful. Help me. I trust you. Complaint mm-hmm. is God. This is really awful. And so are you. Yeah. Uh, and I just, des- I deserve something different. 
Um, and uh, because Christians, especially in America, we're very positive and we're very, you know, uh, kind of got that power of positive thinking, you know, thing on us. Uh, we don't really know how to be fully in faith and also be saying this is terrible. Um, but Lamentation gives us a pattern for that. Yes, yeah, so some of the old hymns were, were good at that, too. Uh, yeah. And that's interesting. As as a pastor uh, and someone who's preaching that there is room to lament uh, in the presence of God, has that impacted some people you've seen in, in a way that that just maybe, you know, straight encouragement can't do? Yeah. Well, you know, it has, I must say, I've learned from my congregation a lot because, mm. you know, I, I'm thinking of, you know, over the last seven years or so, my my response to their emotionality, my congregation very often would be like, kind of just, you know, perk up, let's confess the scriptures in faith, like, come on, let's rejoice through it, um, which isn't wrong, it's just not all of the truth, and what they needed from their pastor sometimes was, okay, you're right, everything outside is really pretty bad, uh, so let's, let, let me lead you to God in a different way. And, uh, and so I really had to learn, oh, wait, there's this whole other thing in the Bible called lamentation. Uh, uh, I apparently am terrible at that myself. So let me, let me figure it out and then I'll try to help our people. And yeah, there have definitely been times where I have had either in counseling or even in like worship exhortations just within the church to say, Hey, this song is not, you know, this is a different kind of song. Uh, and sometimes you got to sing to Jesus in a minor key and, and yeah. that's how, that's how we're going to do it right now. Yeah. And yeah. So yeah, I, I've I've learned how important that is from them, and so now I'm trying to help give it to them. Interesting, interesting. All right, we're talking to Pastor Adam Mabry, uh, Alethea Church in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, this is his website. It is adammabry.org. Uh, you got any of those Lamentations sermons on the, on the website? <laughs> yeah, you can uh, you can dig around uh, the the sermon archives and find a few of them. Nice. Um, it, I'm, I'm curious, as you know, you've gone through sort of you know this process, walking through it, learning through it. Um, do the there's a lot of promises you mentioned them, you know, uh, and and they are good, and and it seems like even through the emotionality, the, the expressing your emotions to God, being honest with God, uh, and pouring out your pain to Him. Scripturally, it seems like they all they do lead back to the promises that are reassuring. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you see this arc a lot? Yeah, totally. Um, because I think that's a that's a biblical arc, right? I mean, we can look at the life of Jesus, and you know, we get we get the scene in the garden, and then we get you know the the death, and then the resurrection. And the author of Hebrews interprets all that as he endured the cross, despising its shame, for the hope set before him. So, like. On the other side of this whole cross event, there's some, you know, something back there uh, in the distance that's not fully in focus, but it's hope, and it's a hope that's rooted in a, an actual thing that will happen, namely resurrection. And so Jesus is able to be fully human and hate, you know, experientially what what he's experiencing, um, and not want to do it on some, you know, level, but also be fully in. Like and never having his will part from the Father's will, uh, never, never sinning, never r- running away. He was able to do those things at the same time, and that's what's really challenging mm. to to me. I find in in myself when you know when things are hard and 
in my life, when things are hard in my church or in my home or whatever, I find it very hard to do both of those. Um, I'll either go, okay, well, there's hope. So let me just not really call to mind too much of what's negative or, okay, all I can see is the negative and, and the hope is just completely out of my, my field of vision. And Jesus was able to do both those. And I'm challenged by that. Yeah. Hey, do you do, do you do a lot of funerals? Just curious. Well, my, my congregation is perennially young, so the funerals that I do are really, really tragic um, mm. because uh, where I pastor is, uh, is you know, demographically, like just around this yeah. area, is, is you know, younger than, than average. Yeah, uh, that, that's, that's a whole different level of tough. I, I ask, I've done, I've done one funeral in my life, um, mm. and I did it, you know, out of love and respect for someone, uh, an older person who, who passed and it was mainly the the bulk of the people there weren't Christians, mm-hmm. and um, I thought, my goodness, how am I going to? Because you know where I come from, it'd be like you know just Bible, 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 and I'm thinking that's that's gonna they're gonna glaze over, you know, uh, and and it might miss just kind of not connect. And so I thought, well, okay, 23rd Psalm, most people at least have heard in a movie or something, right? Right, and when I looked at it, I, I was amazed because I hadn't really thought about it. I guess, and and it says, you know, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and I thought, well, okay, there is a shadow of death. There is a shadow of pain, a shadow of, you know, God appearing to not be there at all, uh, and and that's very real, and it is a very deep valley. But we talk about walking through it. Uh, and the only way you can have a shadow is if there's a light on the other side. And if you walk, mm-hmm. you walk through the valley and to the light. And so that was sort of my message, a soft sell of a scriptural truth, but in a place that people could relate to. Um, and that just brings me to a, a question that's it's not on the notes. So I'm, I'm asking you to kind of wing it here, but how much of walking through the lament and the pain and the confusion uh, is, is critical that we walk through it so we can get to that hope, to that light on the other side? Because if we get stuck, I think that's where people really suffer. Yeah, I, I think it's fully critical. Uh, so on that same psalm, Psalm 23, what messes me up about that psalm is that in verse 3, when everything's nice and it's green pastures and still yeah. waters, yeah. He's that he's leading me in paths of righteousness. And when I, the next thing that happens when I'm on the path of righteousness is the valley of the shadow of death. Oh, wow. So verse three, we're like, great, we're on, we're on the righteous road. And then the next thing that happens is a dark valley. Um, but by the end of it, it says, okay, I'm the, the end of this road is the presence of the Lord. I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Mm. And goodness and mercy are like coming up fast behind me. Um, so goodness and mercy, they're going to chase me down. And where I'm headed is, you know, the presence of the Lord. So I, I find that you don't, you don't get to the, according to the Psalm, the <laughs> path of the righteous that, that God leads us on involves dark valleys and just really twisty hairpin turns of providence that, uh, that no one enjoys, that no one likes. Um, and when we have to go through them, um, you know, one of the, promises of jesus that no one ever puts on a coffee cup or a tattoo is you know in this life you will suffer um (laughs) like yeah that's a that's that's true but the other side of that is but take heart i've overcome the world um 
and, and I, I just those those things, unfortunately, victory and suffering. I wrote about this in my last book. They just go together. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I wish that <laughs> I wish that prosperity gospel stuff were true. You know, you, right. you can just if you just believe enough, you can just get all the victory and none of the suffering. <laughs> right. Uh, right. Unfortunately, that didn't appear to work for the apostles. You know, um, and, uh, I'm pretty sure they had more faith than me. So I'm probably going to have to experience my share. But there's there is real victory uh, on the other side if we will pass through that that uh, righteous road. Yeah. Yeah. Boy. And you know, I, I have a lot of friends that are prosperity types. Uh, and w- when they hit, when they hit that, that dark Valley, it, it can be very tough on them. Uh, and they, and mm-hmm. they start blaming themselves and things like that. And I've, I've walked with a few of them through those real tough times. And so I think it's what you're saying actually is really important for people to know. I mean, if they're in it, yes. But even before you, maybe every, all the pastures are green right now. You gotta, I think you gotta know that at some point you're going to have to walk through something really, really tough. If you're in one of those periods and you're watching right now, uh, feel free to pick up when God seems gone out of Mabry's book. It's available wherever you get books. It'll help maybe, um, align your theology a little bit with the totality of scripture, which does say that, that there is suffering in this life. Um, and the mm-hmm. good news is that I think when we get, um, a, a perspective that is, that is more encompassing of this life and scripture, that that perspective shift will actually encourage you. It may not kind of sound like to say you're going to suffer, that's encouraging but when <laughs> when your expectations are are more realistic then you you also understand the depth of the promises of god and i think this perspective shift is critical i'm going to give you the last word adam i appreciate this is i think this is very instructive for a lot of people and ultimately if you'll keep walking it'll encourage you uh but what, what what's sort of the yeah. icing on the cake here well you know to, to anyone who's watching or listening um man if you're going through that place right now where it feels like it god's not there let me just assure you that he is um and maybe maybe you need to hear someone someone say that you know i i realized a while ago when this all started for me is was that if my gospel isn't big enough to explain what i'm going through then it's not big enough Mm. and the good news is the gospel actually is large enough and expansive enough to explain my human sinfulness and the experience of god's absence and true enough to remind me that he is in fact present um, and that Jesus can identify with all this. He's overcome it. And if I trust him in the end, I will overcome it too. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And if you trust him, you will too. Great encouragement. So you need to hear that. If you know someone that needs to hear that, I would say hit the share button. And if you haven't liked, followed, or subscribed, please do that now so we can offer you more encouragement. That's what we want to do. We'll see you again next time here on Life Today Live. And, uh, Benachtina Fela Padre Court. But Lord, <laughs> I just come as a bankrupt sinner, saying, Lord, have mercy on me. <laughs>